This is the news for week commencing 7th of August 2023. Securing and retaining key talent remains the number one risk to CFOs for the fifth Deloitte's CFO sentiment survey in a row. However, the survey reveals net optimism about company financial prospects has fallen from 66% six months ago to just 29%, lower than during the first wave of COVID-19. Despite the difficult environment, there are still more CFO optimists than pessimists when it comes to their own business performance, as CFOs still expect capital expenditure, employment and revenue to increase in the current financial year, although expectations have weakened in the last six months. Hydric and Struggles reported second quarter revenue fell 9% on a constant currency basis, with Executive Search, the company's largest business line, falling 18.2% year over year. The Asia-Pacific region was down 20% when compared to the prior year. The firm had 423 executive search consultants on 30 June 2023, compared to 388 12 months ago. Net revenue per consultant was $1.9 million US dollars during the most recent quarter, compared to $2.6 million US dollars a year ago. Robert Walters reported revenue for the six months ending 30 June 2023 of £548 million, up 1% in constant currency when compared to the previous year. Group net fee income was down 5% in constant currency against a record prior year. Asia-Pacific net fee income was up 5.4%. Group operating profit was down 57%. Group consultant headcount was up 6% year-on-year to 4000 280, although down 3% quarter on quarter. The Deco Group reported revenue of just under 6 billion euros for the second quarter ending 30 June 2023, up 4% on an organic and trading days adjusted basis. Temporary net fee income was up 1% and permanent placement fees were down 9%. Group gross profit declined 1% and EBITDA dropped 12%. ADECO Asia-Pacific revenue was up 10%, although the ANZ result was flat, weighed by the end of a large government contract. A new Canadian program that offers open work permits for up to three years to H-1B US visa holders and their immediate family members has been an immediate success. The H-1B allows highly skilled foreign-born individuals to work in the United States for three to six years, but requires sponsorship by an employer and often provides no meaningful path to permanent residency. The Canadian program, a temporary effort to attract skilled and high-tech US workers to the country, only opened two weeks ago, and within two business days, its initial cap of 10,000 applicants was reached. The popularity of the program is a sign of mounting frustrations among skilled workers in the US who feel trapped in the limbo of a legal immigration system that they see as outdated and unfriendly. David Beer, the Associate Director of Immigration Studies at the Cato Institute, said, The Canadian offer is, you come, immediately get to work for any employer you want, and you're going to have a clear path to permanent residency to stay. That's a very attractive offer. U.S. staffing revenue fell by a median 6% year-over-year in June among staffing companies taking part in SIA's latest Pulse survey. However, small companies appear to have less of a decline than large firms in the survey. Small staffing firms saw a median revenue decline of 5% compared to 15% reported by the larger firms. Real gross domestic product in the U.S. grew faster than anticipated 
increasing at an estimated annual rate of 2.4% in the second quarter of 2023, according to the US Bureau of Economic Analysis. Real GDP grew just 2% in the previous quarter. In state-by-state labour market data, New Hampshire and South Dakota posted the lowest jobless rates among all US states in June at 1.8% each. Nevada ranked as the state with the highest jobless rate in June at 5.4%. In total, 22 states had unemployment rates lower than the national figure of 3.6%. Alongside the positive GDP and labour market data, the odds of a US recession have receded, according to Goldman Sachs, having lowered its odds from 25% to 20% that the US will fall into recession, saying the disinflation process can continue without the need for a more material economic slowdown. A former finance manager at Manpower Group Service Private Limited in India, allegedly manipulated the company's payroll system and fraudulently added his unemployed wife to the payroll, ensuring that she received a regular salary for more than 10 years. The finance manager admitted that he had illegally transferred money to his wife's bank account from 2012 onwards. He also confessed to inflating his salary and transferring money to his account over the last several years. The total fraud resulted in a loss of 42 million Indian rupees to the company, the equivalent of just over three quarters of a million Australian dollars. Migrant workers reporting employer exploitation should receive a legislated guarantee they will not have their visas cancelled, unions and migrant rights activists have told the federal government. Unions New South Wales Secretary Mark Mori said temporary migrants who wanted to speak up about and escape exploitation did so at the risk of being kicked out of the country. This is because the employer can retaliate by anonymously telling the Department of Home Affairs that the worker is in breach of their visa, he said. This exploitative power imbalance damages Australia's migration system and international reputation. It also lets dodgy companies get away with continuing to bring in new workers to exploit. Earlier this year, the Albanese government announced landmark reforms aimed at cracking down on employers who exploit migrant workers. A Sydney woman who embezzled millions of dollars from the National Australia Bank has been jailed for a maximum of 15 years by a judge who described the crime as breathtaking in its audacity. A jury last year found Helen Mary Rosamond guilty of 90 charges, including dozens of counts of corruptively giving a benefit and dishonestly obtaining a financial advantage by deception. The New South Wales District Court heard Rosamond falsified and overinflated invoices for her event management company Human Group to NAB, which were approved by her co-offender Rosemary Rogers, the former Chief of Staff to the bank's CEO. The court heard the total financial advantage to Rosamond was $4.4 million, while Rogers benefited by $5.5 million. The money funded a life of opulence between 2013 and 2017, largely for Rogers, who had an extraordinary delegation of authority within NAB to approve expenditure of up to $20 million. The court was told this allowed the fraud to go on undetected for some time. During sentencing, Judge Sutherland detailed an extraordinary series of purchases funded by the deception, including luxury holidays, business class flights, helicopter transfers and limousines for Rogers and her relatives. Rogers is currently serving an eight-year jail sentence for the role. Sharon Cook, NAB Group Executive Legal and Commercial Services, said the bank acknowledges its prior failures in not having sufficient controls and processes. (music) 
question of the week is, what chance does a mature age rookie have of succeeding in agency recruitment? Hmm. Well, I'm going to say not a high chance. Oh, Ross. <laughs> not a <laughs> high chance. Why. So firstly, let's, let's really define mature age. So I'm going to say someone sort of 30 plus in terms of age. Let's, okay. let's call them mature age. So here's my reason why, or main reason. When I worked, and I didn't work with a lot of mature age rookies, but I did work with some, and I'd say most of them didn't succeed. And my interpretation or my assessment of why they didn't succeed is that almost all of them had established quite good momentum and status in their previous career. So they'd established some level of seniority and that they were giving that up effectively to start a new career in agency recruitment. And when you have been a manager of some description in a recognised company or recognised industry, that affords you status with your social network, with your friends, in your work environment. And you're giving all of that up because as much as I love recruitment and the recruitment industry, you know, it's not... Now, it's not a high-status industry. I wouldn't call it a high-status job. It's not the sort of thing that your grandmother's urging, urging you to, to do because it's impressive. And the people who didn't succeed didn't succeed quickly. Like, in other words, within two or three months, they just found it too wearing on their ego to be making calls and not getting very far or to not be generating a lot of placements quite quickly, even though their expectations may have been perhaps a little unrealistic. I just found the gap between the status that they had in their previous career and their current status was just too much and See, that they weren't really... willing to continue. Yeah, I've got a really different um, opinion on that. I think from my own experience, and I'm thinking about a, a reasonably recent, you know, agency experience I've had of hiring uh, two mature age uh, gentlemen who came from the industry that we were recruiting in. So they had industry knowledge and experience and they had worked at very senior levels in those uh, in, in those roles and were looking for a career change. Um, I brought them into the organisation and taught them recruitment, uh, got them across, you know, the role and, and how to build themselves and their new brand and the desk. And it took a little bit more work, I do think, because there was a little bit of unlearning to relearn because, you know, they had ways of doing things. But it was hugely successful. Their life experience was uh, incredibly valuable uh, just from a maturity perspective, but they also were able to just have instant credibility with the client base. I mean, they knew the jargon. They knew, you know, the industry. They had a network. They they knew what they were talking about and they were able to instantly walk in to a client or sit down with a candidate and even just by visually seeing them and seeing their age, the client felt some level of trust and, and, you know, comfort factor in them even before they'd opened their mouth. So, you know, I've had a really different experience in that. So a couple of things I'd say about that. 
firstly, those two people were very um, advantaged because they had you to train them, Adele. So, so I'd assert that gave them a very big head start compared to many other recruiters. And I think the other thing that you mentioned that was critical is that they were looking for a career change. Like, clearly, mm. they had had enough of their existing career that they plateaued or they were finding it boring. They, they were looking for a different form of stimulation. And so all of those sorts of things boil down to motivation, that if you do have a mature age rookie who really wants to effectively burn the boats on their previous career is really determined to establish themselves in a different career, then I think that absolutely can overcome a lot of those status concerns that I raised earlier. So bringing that experience with them then, as I said, and and as you're saying, the motivation um, is something that, you know, builds that resilience. We're always looking for resilience in recruiters. So, you know, they come with this built-in resilience that I just think the younger rookie really lacks. It takes them some time to build up that resilience muscle enough to be able to withstand what we know is coming with recruitment. Yes. Yeah, I'd I'd say that that is absolutely true true that it's more likely a mature age rookie has had quite a few ups and downs in their career to date and they know how to well first firstly they're going to expect there's going to be ups and downs and then they're going to know how to navigate those um another factor just kind of crossed my mind really is money like Mm. clearly in almost all cases a mature age rookie is not going to receive a base salary in an agency equivalent to their um, earning in their most recent job. And they are relying on commission or a bonus to make up the difference and hopefully go beyond what they were earning previously. So a person's financial resources that they can draw on while they're building up commission and momentum, I think is pretty important as long as they are prepared to sort of weather that short financial storm if there is a reasonable gap between what they were earning and what they're now earning as a base salary, then I think that that can also be um, quite a significant factor. Yeah, I think you have to consider what they are bringing to the table. Like in the example I gave earlier, if they're coming from the industry where you're recruiting, you want to put some value to what they are bringing to the table. You're not treating them in quite the same way as you would a rookie with very little experience or very basic, maybe hospitality, retail background experience. So you have to factor in some value to the salary package you offer a mature age rookie because they're bringing in that level of knowledge and industry experience and network, as I said, uh, and they're likely to come up to speed more quickly. So I agree with you. If they're probably going to fail, they're going to fail really quickly as mm. well. You're going to know really quickly early in the piece, but they're also going to come up to speed more quickly in the job and hopefully be able to get back that to that earning capacity level that they may be used to before coming yeah. in. I certainly agree with that. I think once a rookie, break, a mature age rookie, breaks through and succeeds, the accelerated upward momentum is likely to be greater. Like once it clicks, then being able to leverage their existing networks and experience, I think, will most likely have them succeed at an accelerated rate. All right. So have we convinced each other, Ross, if you're starting a recruitment agency today, who are you hiring, a young rookie or a mature age? 
Well, there's another factor we didn't quite mention, but that's the culture of the agency. Like if they've got a culture of giving mature age rookies a chance and they've done it well, then I'd say, yes, high mature age rookies. But if you're in an agency culture that's full of 20-somethings and you're hiring a 35-year-old, I don't know. I don't know. I think the odds are a lot less. I think you're in trouble calling a 35-year-old mature age. (laughs) Yes. Yes, I suppose so. But given I'm 20-something plus (laughs) years more experience than that, would anyone hire me, Adele? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe if I can help train you, Ross. (laughs) Well, exactly. All right. Well, I hope we've answered that question. I don't know whether we've answered it or not, but we've had a good conversation. What do you think, Adele? Thanks, Russ. That's a wrap. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from, Google, Apple, Spotify, or on our website.